Welcome to Bongo Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am an associate professor of pharmacy practice and the supporting sponsor of Bongo Farm, the Bill Gatt College of Pharmacy. I am recording this on, uh, let's see, it's April 2nd, 2020, uh, on week three of uh, working from home social distancing. Um, doing okay, doing okay. Uh, so I want to talk about uh, Caravaggio. I don't know if that's how you say it, but it sounds like how I should say it. So this was a uh, big publication, uh, came out this weekend, uh, published in uh, this week's edition of the New England Journal of Medicine of a PICS band for cancer-associated VTE. But before we get into study, let's talk of, actually talk about Caravaggio, which is actually a, a region, like a, a town, I guess you might say, in northern Italy. Uh, and this is an, an old, uh, uh, an Italian artist. And his actual name is uh, Michelangelo uh, Marisi da Caravaggio. So his name, I guess, is Michelangelo Marisi of uh, Caravaggio. So he's an Italian painter. He uh, was born in 1571, died in 1610, at the, the young age of 39. He was born in Milan, northern Italy. And this is eerie. Uh, at age five, his family moved to the countryside from Milan to escape a plague. To escape a plague. They left Milan, northern Italy, to get away. Uh, and there's a, a Caravaggio Foundation, which is where this information comes from. Uh, it's a .org website, so I feel good about it. Um, around 1600, he was the most famous painter in Rome, uh, but in 1606, he killed a guy, uh, perhaps accidentally, perhaps on purpose, unknown. The guy was a bit of a rabble-rouser, it seems. Uh, and he fled Rome, um, and... Uh, Eventually, uh, he went to Naples then, and then he went to Sicily. Uh, everywhere he went, he ended up having to leave thereafter. Uh, so uh, he died in the summer of 1610, and we think, they think, no body was ever found. So if you're listening to this, you like podcasts, there probably is like a true crime podcast about this guy somewhere, because uh, he was notable uh, and uh, led a, an interesting life, it seems. Now, as far as painting goes, he was known for his extreme contrast between light and dark and his realistic depictions of people. Uh, and some of his most famous works are um, Doubting Thomas and The Calling of St. Matthew. So thank you for listening. No, I'm kidding. So let's talk about uh, Caravaggio, this big paper. This is the largest uh, uh, clinical trial of using a DOAC in active cancer. Uh, so this was about 1,100 patients with symptomatic or incidental VTE, uh, and they had really the fewest stratification factors of any of these DOAC studies. They only stratified based on symptomatic versus uh, uh, incidental VTE, and then uh, whether or not they had a historical diagnosis of cancer uh, and actually capped that at 20. All the other DOAC studies had much more stringent stratification factors. Notable exclusion criteria, and these, of course, they were active cancer. Notable exclusion criteria include primary brain tumor or a secondary or metastatic brain tumor, acute leukemia, dual antiplatelet therapy, and anyone on more than 100 milligrams of aspirin. aspirin. So they randomized one-to-one -to, -one to either standard dose of pixaban, the, you know, the 10-BID, then 5-BID after a week, or daltaparin uh, for treatment for six months. That's about 575 patients in each group. So why daltaparin? It all goes back to the CLOT study from New England Journal of Medicine in 2003 showing that daltaparin, a low molecular weight heparin, is superior to vitamin K antagonist in preventing recurrent VTE. So this story goes back 17 years. So the primary endpoint was non-inferiority of recurrent VTE 
which was seen in 5.6% of folks in the Pixaban group compared to 7.9% in the Deltapan group. So that was statistically significant for non-inferiority. Uh, then when they do the test for superiority, it was not statistically significant, but numerically favored a Pixaban. Major bleeding was the same in both groups, 3.8% with a Pixaban versus 4%. Uh, with Daltapan. That's notable because uh, Adam VTE cancer was a much smaller study showing like no bleeding events, no major bleeding in, uh, in a pig span, which of course sounded too good to be true and is. We see the same major bleeding, uh, numerically more clinically relevant non-major bleeding in a pig span at 9% versus 6%. So, you know, we'll look at this study uh, uh, Caravaggio in comparison to the other big DOAC in active cancer studies uh, in a little bit. But first, some notable things to look at um, that is not that are that reported in this study that have not consistently been reported in other studies that's worth looking at. Um, so the number of patients that had hematologic malignancies, 5.7% with a PICSPAN versus 9% with Daltaparin. So minor imbalance there, numbers are low, but mostly these are solid tumor patients. Uh, the number of patients on an anti-angiogenic monoclonal antibody, and they report that. They also report bevacizumab specifically, but it could have been Bev, could have been Zivaflibercept or something like that. 4.8% uh, with a PIXPAN, 5.3% with Daltaparans. About 5% of these folks were on a bevacizumab or bevacizumab-like monoclonal antibody. And then the number of folks on, or the percentage of folks on an IMID, like lenalidomide or thalidomide, uh, which of course... We talk about the anti-angiogenic antibodies because they may have a higher bleeding risk. About 5% of patients in the study were on a drug like that either uh, at the time of randomization and continued that or they started it after uh, they started the study drug. The number of folks on lenalidomide or thalidomide and imid, 2% in the apixaban group versus 2.9% in the deltaparin group. So those numbers are really small, but of course it'd be... Um, it'd be uh, insightful and useful to have a larger study of patients within those specific demographics to determine the safety of DOAX and people on drugs like bevacizumab, as well as their efficacy in folks on IMIDs. And I'm sure the myeloma uh, folks will, will look at, at DOAX specifically in myeloma, and they already are. So uh, as we look at these other studies, uh, so Caravaggio had you know over 1,100 patients, so the largest of these studies um, uh, Hoskai VTE cancer was just above a thousand patients, so in the same ballpark, and that was a doxpan versus daltaparin. Select D, which is the rivaroxaban study, was uh, 400 patients. Then Adam VTE was the same apixaban people; it was under 300. And if I recall, their primary endpoint was a composite of recurrent VTE and major bleeding. It was kind of like dipping their toe in the water to see if they really wanted to do a bigger study, uh, and and of course they went on to do that, being Caravaggio. So when you look at this data in total, and you look at all of it, you see recurrent VTE rates with adoxavan, 7.9% uh, versus 11.3% with daltaparin. You look at Select D, 4% recurrent VTE rate with rivaroxaban, which was statistically significantly lower than daltaparin at 11%. I won't go over the Adam VTE because it's such a small study. And then Caravaggio, 5.6% with apixaban versus 7.9% with daltaparin. What you see as a trend is if you know if you were to do a meta-analysis, you'd probably find a small, maybe statistically significant uh, difference in favor of the DOAC arm versus uh, daltaparin. But whatever difference that is, it's small. We're talking maybe a couple percentage points better. If you did a number needed to treat, you know you're get, you're going to get a number that's well above 50 if you look at that probably. Now, if we look at major bleeding and clinically relevant non-major bleeding, we see trends towards a little bit more bleeding in the DOAC arm. 
which kind of makes sense. If the DOACs that we see are a little bit more effective at preventing recurrent VET, that suggests they have a little bit more anticoagulation than standard dose daltaparin. And if you have just a little bit more anticoagulation, you might expect a little bit more bleeding. And that seems to be what we see. Uh, there was statistically significant more major bleeding with adoxaban compared to uh, daltaparin. Again, numbers low, 6.9 versus 4%. Uh, clinic, uh, statistically significantly more clinically uh, relevant non-major bleeding with rivaroxaban at 13% versus daltaparin, 4%. That study, they actually uh, stopped enrollment due to patients with upper GI malignancies because of like a 26% um, bleeding rate in those folks with, with esophageal and gastroesophageal junction cancers. Um, and again, we see the same trend with Carvaggio, numerically more bleeding uh, with the apixaban at uh, clinically relevant at 9% versus 6%. So, you know, I think it's pretty clear we can say that DOACs are as good as a low molecular weight heparin at treating cancer-associated VTE. You know, probably end of story here. Uh, they appear to be uh, as safe, maybe a little bit more bleeding, um, with the notable um, caveats. For example, Carvaggio didn't include people with, with brain mets. Uh, Carvaggio did not include people on dual antiplatelet therapy, for example. And those are, those are important considerations. And then, of course, uh, as I alluded to with the SELECT-D study, is there have been more bleeding events seen, especially in people with gastrointestinal and genitourinary malignancy. So if you look at the percentage of patients on these studies that had gastrointestinal malignancies, uh, SELECT-D had the highest at 35%, and you see higher clinically relevant non-major bleeding rates. Um, uh, Husky VTE had 21% GI malignancies. Uh, Caravaggio was right in between at 25%, and you know we see bleeding events with Caravaggio in between what we saw uh, with rivaroxaban and adoxaban, at least for um, or at least kind of in line with that. When you look at percentage of gastro or genitourinary cancers, 13% in the adoxaban study, 15% with rivaroxaban, 12% with apixaban and Caravaggio. So those numbers uh, are, are similar. But that's an important thing to look at. Um, you know, personally, I would love to, to see some of these studies in specific malignancies. I'd love to see one just in patients with hematologic malignancies that are prone to thrombocytopenia to see how low can we reasonably use DOAX in people with thrombocytopenia. At least with low molecular weight heparin, we're pretty comfortable going down to 50 at full dose and then some dose reduction between 20, 25, and 50 based on single center studies showing uh, reasonable safety doing that. Eventually, we're going to see probably that same data with DOAX in folks. Um, and then, you know, how does, you know, when the rubber meets the road is which agent do you choose? And I think it, the, the, the easy answer is you have to individualize therapy. Um, I, I'm not sure that one of these is better than the other. They each have their own advantages and disadvantages. Um, Adoxban has the cleanest drug-drug interaction profile, but it also requires, uh, the way it's been studied, with a parenteral agent for, I think, a week prior to Adoxaban. Uh, apixaban, everyone seems to love apixaban. It's a twice-a-day drug, and lots of times our patients with cancer are taking lots and lots of other medications, so um, a BID drug may not be uh, the easiest thing for them to do. Uh, and then rivaroxaban, uh, after your, your uh, three-week BID dosing, does go down to once a day, but rivaroxaban at doses above 15 milligrams, which would be the standard dose here for folks with normal um, uh, organ function and without any drug interactions um, would need to take it with food, which can be problematic for patients on treatment, for example, uh, either due to nausea, vomiting, or more commonly due to just not feeling like eating and food not tasting good. So that's Caravaggio. 
Uh, nice paper. Uh, you know, the supplement appendix has some good stuff in it. You can see the whole protocol in there. Um, so, uh, and, and the biggest study we have to date uh, with regards to NOAC use in active cancer. Um, so we learned about that. We learned about Italian painters that were kind of interesting characters back in the day. Uh, a couple other things I want to mention. Um, many of you around the country um, may be precepting APPE students, so pharmacy students who are no longer allowed on site due to uh, this novel coronavirus. So uh, in case this helps any of you out, uh, we're going to be doing our first journal club. Um, so I'm going to let you know what the journal is, uh, or the study. It's called Hydration Requirement in Patients Receiving Highly Emetogenic Chemo, published in Future Oncology 2019, Volume 15, uh, Issue 7, page 753, by Randy Erickson, is the lead author, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. Uh, the easiest way to find it is Google Unscheduled Hydration Granisetron, and you'll find it. Uh, and we're targeting April 16th, so two weeks from the recording of this podcast uh, to do uh, that journal club. So if you have an APP student, assign them this study to read and listen to the podcast and then talk to you about it. It's maybe save you some time, give them uh, something to do. It is kind of a bread and butter oncology topic uh, as far as what do you need to know before you read this. You need to have a prerequisite understanding of the fundamentals of chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting. So I think a really good topic for an oncology APPE student. Um, uh, additionally, if you're a listener of this podcast and you have not had a lot of training in critiquing and reading primary literature, I would encourage you to participate in this as well. Um, I'll also tweet this this paper out and, and, and have it on Instagram. So uh, you can follow me at OncoFarmPod uh, on Twitter and Instagram. That's the show's handle. And uh, you can follow me personally at FarmDeetNip on Twitter. And then uh, finally, I want to end with uh, you know my COVID thoughts. And one of my... Uh, my big teaching uh, modalities is analogies. And uh, I was thinking about DIC, uh, disseminated intervascular uh, coagulation or coagulopathy. Uh, and the way I usually explain DIC to students is it's, you know, the body is, is so stressed, there's so much inflammation that there's some overlap with the coagulation cascade, and you end, the body ends up using all of its clotting factors and all of its platelets. And if you use them all out, and you're using them because you're forming all these, these microvascular clots and, and you're breaking them down at such a, such a fast rate that you end up using up all of your body supply of clotting factors and platelets. And then you can end up bleeding to death, unfortunately. Uh, and it seems to me that with COVID-19 uh, is going to put our healthcare system into DIC because of lack of PPE and uh, providers and clinicians uh, contracting this, that we're going to unfortunately have a lot of people uh, that get used up um, uh, due to this virus, and uh, I hope that we have the, the reserves to, to, um, to replace them uh, when they're home quarantining um, um, because they've been in contact with somebody or, or contracted the virus themselves. So those are my COVID thoughts for the week. Uh, everyone stay safe, be well, wash your hands, and until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Thank you.